Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Elizabeth Dutton. Sarah Burnett. I got a question for you, my friend. Yes, sir. Do you know what's ridiculous. So you want to know if I know what's ridiculous? I'm asking you, do you know what's ridiculous? I know what's ridiculous. I knew that you would know what's ridiculous. I'm dependable that way. Uh, Air fresheners in cars, Mm -hmm. I think to excess, are completely ridiculous. And quite offensive Although I'm going to go out on a limb and say at all. I don't like any air freshener in a car. Ah, yes. You know, roll any down the windows. Any artificial scent, yes. Yeah, just roll down the windows I'm if with it's you. so bad. And then clean the car if it's so bad. Although, have you ever smelled that new car scent that they spray in? It smells like new car scent. It's crazy. You're but like, I oh, like this is what salespeople do. rolling down the windows and getting rid of oh, that new car scent. Sure, I just yes. want it to smell like nothing. I was just impressed with, with what New Jersey could do. That is pretty impressive. So, uh, you've gotten into a car where it's mm-hmm. like oppressive. Yes. The air fresheners. Yes. Sometimes it's dangling from the rear view. There are all these companies that make like fancy ones now. Like they have the Febreze that you stick in the vents. Mm-hmm. I got into an Uber not too long ago where every vent had like two. Oh, wow. Yes, I have seen that. Yeah, I was like, how many fish have you got? Have you got it in this car <laughs> that you're trying to cover? Um but they have like, you know, wooden ones and things that mm-hmm. dangle mm-hmm. and flingle. Decorative. Yeah. And so it's carved sculptures. If you were gonna use one, what what would you want your car to smell like? Your uh, car could smell like anything. Okay, this will sound gross to you. But probably the Pacific Ocean, the beach, that smell of like seaweed, salt water. It's not a pleasant smell. <laughs> but I would like the seaweed that. Part. Yeah. yeah. Would, no, just like, you know, the drying seaweed is, has to be there. Sure. But it, that's what gives it the real like it's a base bo- note. The bottom, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then wafting above that are all the various salt water spray and, and the, you know, maybe like the hint of like, I don't know, bird poop, whatever it is that yeah, also is in the know. air. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, my uh-huh. scent, thank you for asking. Oh, right. Yeah. So what's yours? I don't know. I feel like one of my favorite scents is like citrus blossom, like a lime blossom. Oh, yeah. You do like lime blossom. That's a legit. One thing I don't want my car to smell like, Mm, you know where I'm going with this. No, I do not. Yeah, you do, baby. No, I do not. Uh, I'm pretending I do not. Something too sweet. Come on, come on, come on. Do not. Like, for example, 
yeah. Cadbury mini eggs. What the hell? Like uh, chocolate, <sighs> those Easter eggs. Anyway, um, there's a company in the UK, Carfume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they do these air freshener things and they, you know, whatever. they Carfume? Carfume. They mm-hmm. have many scents. They're, you know, sustainable, mood enhancing. Uh, Eau de la backseat? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like underboob is yeah. one of them. Um, and so, no, they have mini chalk eggs. Uh-huh. Not C-H-A-L-K, but C-H-O-C. Like oh, like Short for chocolate. Yeah, I got you. Um, you, can, you can buy for... Um, eight pounds ninety five. You can mm-hmm. buy the carfume, which is like a weird dangling wooden thing, and mm-hmm. then you can you can get refills the drops for almost ten quid. Um, so my car always and you like can bundle it for Cadbury 17. cream eggs. No, no, like the little the little ones that look like speckled eggs, not the cream eggs, oh. like the little hard shell. Sure. Yeah, and they have that very particular sweet yeah, uh-huh. chocolate with like candy. Or and my candied. whole car would smell like this. Yes, and I do this on purpose. Yes. Why am I asking for these the questions? rest of days? Yeah, so that's ridiculous, and that came to us from uh, Jimmy Dunn Man, a uh-huh. listener uh, who got to us through Instagram. Gee, thanks, Jimmy. So thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> there you go. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Certified. Now, do you? I got a callback for you. Oh, yeah. do you know? Remember how I told you the story of Frank L. Sprenz? Mm, yeah, the name sounds familiar. The flying bank robber? Yeah, 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 he yeah. yeah. He, escaped, he just kept stealing. Kept, yeah, he kept uh, he escaped prison. He kept stealing planes all around America and Canada. And then he kept robbing banks until he took a plane and he ran into a cow on a runway in Mexico. And that yeah, ended and his life as a bank robber he was on the in lamb. Baltimore. And, yes, flew into the Baltimore and Harbor. And there was like he was at a, a boarding house or something. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Good memory. I was listening. Yeah, I was there. You were there. You you feel it now? Do you also remember how I said that cat's uh, his criminal nickname? It shouldn't have been the flying bank robber. That's too many syllables. It should have been the flying bandit. Uh-huh. Boom! Right? It's got yeah. pizzazz, pop. Now it turns out someone already had used that nom de crime. Oh. That nickname was taken, Elizabeth, two years earlier. Oh, so that's why he didn't get called the Flying Bandit. By a Canadian. Oh. I know. You never see that coming. So today I have for you the story of Ken Leishman, known as the Flying Bandit. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Yes. Elizabeth. Darren. My dude, Ken Leishman, sure. right? Folk hero of Canada. Okay. I'd never heard of this cat. No, Had to, I. I just happened, I was like, I was like, is there a flying bandit? Why was that name taken? Boom, turns out there was this guy, Robin Hood of the Great White North. <laughs> I love it. Right? Now, in his heyday, what turns out want to be one of our favorite times. He was a mid-century bandit. Oh. Mid-century of the last century. Yeah. Now, dude was born June 20th, 1931. He gets popped out in this town called Holland in Manitoba. Enters life, unfortunately, as we we constantly kind of point out for people in the mid-century, born into the Depression. Yeah. So oftentimes their childhoods are rough, right? right. His, oh, definitely. 
he was basically born into a storm of unceasing winds. He's just, he gets blown from home to home, wind whipped through foster care, pulled from one home because of excessive abuse. Oh, dear. Yeah, his childhood far from idyllic, right? It's like the anti-Beaver Cleaver. Now, somehow, though, throughout this, this childhood of chaotic upbringing and so forth, by all accounts, he emerges this handsome, charming, sometimes called dashing, well-dressed, abundantly stylish young man. Huh. Amazing resilience, this kid. Yeah, the stylish part particularly. Well, yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> he was known to wear like a distinctive mustache. He overcame. Oh, he had a distinctive. Like, oh, yeah, like think like um, imagine like a Canadian Clark Gable of the 1940s, but oh. like kind of like more of a square head and like a, more of a British mustache, like a okay. British commando kind of guy, right? Like, uh-huh. um, I think uh, what what's his what's the cat um Austin Powers Powers uh what's it? Mike Myers I think Mike Myers would have loved to have played him just as a straight British character but even though he's in Canada okay, Mike yeah. Myers is from Canada anyway the guy had yeah. like very much a British mustache in Canada ornamental to his quick and beaming smile okay. is my point Elizabeth now Ken <laughs> Leishman this guy he's also whip smart. Now, I said that for you because you you. always say men are never described as whip smart. Only women are. Yeah, it's annoying. Which is true. Yeah. Yeah. Men always say, oh, she's just whip smart. Well, this guy, Elizabeth, he's He's whip whip smart. smart. (laughs) Thank you for leveling the playing field on that one. If you're interested in- Is he a real looker? Does he smile? Is he a go-getter? He's a go-getter. He got a lot of moxie, this kid. He's a, he was, if you're interested in like a numerical qualification of his intelligence, because I know you always like that kind of stuff, his quantified intelligence, his IQ was 146. Is that good? I think so. It qualifies him for Mensa, I believe. Oh, I, I don't so. know. Anyway, like I, was I like, said. That sounds low to me, but then again, I think I'm probably like 28. This guy is a nonviolent criminal, which I also thought you would like. I like that. Right. He just, uh, he took things that didn't belong to him, right? Throughout his criminal career, he had a reputation, as I said, as a Canadian folk hero. Well, I found one Canadian historian, this cat, Christian Cassidy. They wrote about Ken Leishman, and I quote, It wasn't a murder. People weren't hurt. I think that was one of the things that helped make him a bit of a folk hero. He was sticking it to the man. He wasn't holding up little old ladies or beating people up or stealing their money. Huh. Right? So So was he robbing from, like banks and corporations or well uh okay well here well now that i've given you a sense of who he was what he looks like let's get into his life in the moving parts okay ken marries his sweetheart at the age of 18 Mm -hmm. some sources say 17 i'm going with 18 anyway her name elva shields okay elva love that name elva Elva. yeah it's pretty yeah it's like the female elvis (laughs) so she was older than him by two years there's a true young love but also a lasting love because despite all the criminality she stands by her man anyway now that he's married ken he knows he needs to get a job so in the summer of 1950 he got a job as a traveling mechanic he travels all across manitoba repairs agricultural equipment like wheat straw cutters right now to give his wife and soon-to-be young family a happy home he wants to give them more than selling wheat straw cutters will allow so ken starts criming in fact he furnished their first home with stuff he stole from warehouses around the area nice and i don't mean small things elizabeth <laughs> he stole a fridge and a stove right out from the westinghouse building oh, just like i'll oh, just take this right out the back he also stole a sofa or as the canadians call it a chesterfield right he stole a matching dinette set and chairs from a warehouse from a different warehouse he stole a kitchen set and a bed oh. yeah he well also he stole small things that he liked he stole a radio because what happy home in 1950 canada Got doesn't have a radio yeah. right need the crystal set so by the way all this stealing that was done in one month in one <laughs> february 1950 he just rack it up rack it up right in march he went back he was trying to steal even more items to fill out their new happy home ken made the classic criminal mistake elizabeth you know what he did huh. he got greedy 
Yeah, every time yeah. that'll get him. He also got lazy because you see, he tried to have stolen items delivered directly to his home. Stop. <laughs> he selected so items from the warehouse, then he posed as a buyer from a business, and then he had basically phoned ahead to the transportation company, has them come to the warehouse to pick up his goods, and then he, you know, say He's just like, delivered it to my house, right? Yeah. And so the plan would have worked perfectly. It was like a late night delivery. There's only a couple people at the warehouse. No one's gonna really question it, except there was a nosy dispatcher who's like, I don't recognize this. This doesn't seem right. Oh. So what do they do? They call the cops. I mean, like, come on. Come on. The man just needs a dinette set. Ken gets caught, busted, arrested, tried, convicted, and jailed Elizabeth nine oh, months. See, that's the problem. Now he's got a young family. Good yeah. job, dude. And now he's an ex-con as soon yeah. as he gets out. But he's well, only in who, nine months, they don't have... The Potter Familius in the in the Exactly. Situation. Young family, you gotta, too. Yeah, that's Three terrible. months later, he gets released, though. He doesn't have to oh, do the full nine. Because so, it's Canada. They're like, good behavior. We'll let you out early. Yeah, I guess. So Ken gets out of jail. Now he needs to find a new way to support his still-growing family. So <laughs> he chooses to do what, Elizabeth? Uh, go on the street and narrow. Yes. How get so? an office gig. So far, he's been like, you know, like going selling wheat straw cutters. What does he do <laughs> next? Uh, crime. He chooses to learn to fly. He's like, I need to get more dimensions. I need three I dimensions need to work expenses. with here. Exactly. It's so not like, cheap. No, no, not at all. But somehow he manages to do this. And now he goes to work as a traveling mechanic again. This time he's uh, good at it because he can expand his reach with the plane, right? So he's going to distant rural communities. Oh, yeah, that's true. He's fixing their agricultural equipment. That's right. a great idea. New great game pays super well, right? Yeah. So now Ken, he's able to buy a nice home for his family. This gets, you know, he buys a new car. Now he's buying new clothes for him, the wife, the kids, right? Life's good. Also, Ken he buys himself a plane. He gets himself, 1952, he buys himself a Aronka, A-E-R-O-N-C-A, Aronka. Okay. Or maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong. Anyway, picture a small plane with the wing over the cabin. Wait. Like, you know, like just a flat wing and then uh -huh. there's a little plane oh, underneath. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like the kind of people like, will jump out of for... I am so slow. I just had to like, you <laughs> You did the hand movement yes. and then I had to puzzle it. I told you I got like a 28 IQ, dude. <laughs> I mean, don't, <laughs> Slow don't, down don't for me yourself, here. Sure. You got like a 41. <laughs> now, so now that he owns his plane, right, he, he can make extra cash, Elizabeth. He can fly people around. Other people need to get places. He's like, hey, I'm like, a, I'm like a taxi in the sky. So he becomes a charter flight company. Boom, family now moves again. You get a bigger house. This pattern holds true for six years. Between 1950 and 1956, the family's moving every single year. That's Sometimes no because it was good. Sometimes because he was in prison. But either way, they were moving. <laughs> Every year for six years. The now, goal is to not have to move. That's exactly. The, that's when you've made it. When that's you truly. don't have to keep moving. So Ken, he's, he's looking for this luxurious life, right? He's almost there. He's got things going with the charter. He's going flying around doing agricultural mechanics stuff, right? Then life throws Ken a speed bump. Uh -huh. Yeah. The company he's working for as a traveling mechanic closes up shop. That's fine, though. Ken, he's good. He's like, okay, well, I'll just uh, I'll sell cookware. So now he starts flying to distant places and selling them cookware. Oh, I see. Yeah, they basically, you know, as I said, fly to remote locations, and he's like a door-to-door -door salesman, but with a plane. And they need that. Yeah. They need that out there. Unfortunately, this job, it doesn't last too long either, right? Apparently, he... you can't sell cookware by plane and really keep a company afloat. Uh, yeah, this is like not... a desperate act, I think, <laughs> at the end. So what you're saying is he hit a little turbulence. Yeah, the company closes shops as well, November 1957. You just let that one go you didn't even acknowledge that i gave you like uh csi miami oh i could have i was gonna put the sunglasses on but i got you know it's like 
Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Anyway, so Ken, my man, he finds himself unemployed. 1957 now at this point. He's saddled with financial responsibilities a little bit. Not just his growing family. He's a Canadian. So he also has a fishing lodge. And the fishing lodge is going to close. <laughs> and he needs money to keep his fishing lodge going. So, and so he holds a breakdancing co- contest to raise money for the center? If he had a good idea, that might have been mm-hmm. on the list. But no, he's unemployed, needs a fishing lodge, saved. So he starts <laughs> criming again. Next month, You December, know what you do? You sell the fishing lodge. What? No, no. He's trying to keep that going. You don't... How would that help? Anyway, December 1957, Ken, he flew down on a commercial airliner from Winnipeg down to Toronto. Once he's there, he rented a car. He checked in at a luxury hotel in downtown Toronto. Next day, he went shopping, bought himself some new clothes. Then he went and he robbed a bank. Oh, God. He's like, look, I have no money, so I'm going to blow it on my outfit. (laughs) Pretty much. Then I'm going to go do some crime, which is hit or miss, you know? Like, had he done a lot of research into this bank? This was his first bank job. Yeah, so I'm going to guess no. He's a smart guy, Elizabeth. I told you, whip smart this kid, (laughs) Ken. He's smart. That's right. I forgot. He had dreamed it up a bunch. He thought, how am I going to do this? I can't go in there and just be like, oh, I'm going to take over the bank. You know, he's not that kind of guy. I mean, he's a brassy guy. He knows who he is, (laughs) right? So he comes up with a really solid plan. I think you'll actually be tickled by it. But first, let's take a break. Okay. And then we'll come back and I will tell you how Ken gets into the real bank jobs. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, 
right, Elizabeth. Zarin. We're back. Hi. You ready to get criming? Hi. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Mm-hmm. Hi. Mm-hmm. Hi, by the way. Hi. <laughs> so, Ken, my man. Yes. The Canadian Robin Hood. Yes. He's about a Robin and stealing. He's got a mustache. He's got himself a clean outfit. He's got the mustache waxed and ratty, and he's, uh, you know, feeling good, feeling yeah. ready to start becoming a real hardcore criminal. Super tight underpants. So he walks into the Toronto Dominion Bank. This is in downtown Toronto. He pretends to be a Mr. Gare. That's G-A-I-R, Mr. Gare. Mr. Gare, Yeah, G-A-R. this is a businessman from Buffalo. That's what he tells everybody. I'm Mr. Gare, a Mr. businessman from Buffalo. So he's also a friend of the manager. That's what he tells people. He tells the bank staff this. And he's like, I've come to speak with the manager about a bank loan. We're old friends. So he gets escorted to the manager's office. The door is closed behind him because they're two old friends. So they assume they'll want to discreetly do their business, mm-hmm. right? So as soon as the Buffalo businessman is in the office and he, uh, the two men are alone, he whips out a handgun. Oh, oh. yeah. He, Mr. Gare tells the bank manager to write out a check to him for the sum of $10,000. Wait, write yeah. out a check to me? Yes, exactly. Yeah, because that's just that. Well, there's no way to stop payment on that puppy. I told you, you're not going to see this or bank robbery walk, coming. Well, he probably then just will walk it around to okay, the... Okay, you did see that part coming. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he got exactly that. So meanwhile, Ken is Mr. Gare. He chats with the banker. He's asking him questions, though, Elizabeth, though, learning about personal details from this guy. And then he forces the bank manager to go out with him to a teller and have the teller cash the check. Is it a personal check of the... A personal Personal check. But I don't know. It could be written on the bank's, you know, stock. I don't know if it, yeah. it's a personal check from the bank manager. Okay, so it's from his account. Yeah, and yeah. the bank manager does this. He walks out to Dang. the bank teller, and then as Mr. Gare, you know, he, he's like, uh, once this is successful, the check is cashed. Mr. Gare invites his old friend to come have a drink with him in front of the teller. He's like, oh yes. He's casually mentioning the names of the bank manager's family or friends who he mentioned earlier oh. in the questioning. So That's this is all part smart. of his ruse, right? Yeah. Now the bank manager decides to play it smooth. He's, you know, he doesn't. He's Canadian. He doesn't want anyone to get hurt. He's like, we can take care of this. Hey, eh? you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> now, he goes out. He's like, Mr. Gare. He goes, he walks out with out of the bank with him. He escorts him over to Ken's getaway rental car. Uh-huh. Now, uh, Ken's like, you know, he's also Canadian. So he's like, hey, Merry Christmas. Hey, eh? have a good one. And then he wishes him. He's like, also tell your family Merry Christmas. So it's going to be a cold one, right? <laughs> so oh, Ken... Drives away in his getaway rental car, and then he goes right back to the airport. He flies home to Manitoba. His family, they assume he must have been on one of his, like, long remote runs. They don't ask any questions. Meanwhile, the eyewitness accounts from this bank job, Elizabeth, they all spoke of this guy, Ken, and his, no, they didn't call him Ken, Mr. Gare. Yeah. They talk about his smooth behavior, how he was so dignified, stylish guy. Did you see his mustache, right? They're all just, he was so dapper, so genteel. The press is loving this. They're like, finally, got something to write about. They nickname him the Gentleman Bandit. Oh. That's his first one. Now. I guess the money from this first bank job, it didn't last long. Uh-huh. Or maybe he well, had... 10 G's. A, yeah, but maybe he had more than his fishing lodge to save. I don't know. Whatever <laughs> it is, Ken was back at it March 16th, 1958. He flew back down to Toronto once again to rob a bank. Uh-huh. And I guess he hadn't learned from the warehouse jobs that you don't go and get greedy and do the exact same thing. Anyway, <gasps> he walks into the CIBC bank in Toronto. He tried... Nearly the same routine, except when he was escorted into the bank manager's office and he tried to hold, run the whole, I need a bank loan scheme and I'm from Buffalo or whatever. Yeah. He pulls his gun and Ken runs into trouble. 
This time, when he flashes his piece, the bank manager's like, what's that for, son? I don't know, huh? What are you trying to pull there, eh? Now, the bank manager, he's unflappable. He, he gets, like, Canadian mad. And he's uh-huh. like, now we're gonna, we're not gonna do any of that, mister. And he comes at Ken, right, in a, in a kind and dignified way. And it would, like, he's ready for, like, a real good-natured booty whooping, right? Now, this uh, this bank manager, he, as I told you, he's come alive, he's Canadian mad, the gentleman bandit, he panics. He's like, oh, I didn't expect this. So, Ken, like I told you, he doesn't want to use violence. Although yeah. he has the gun, he runs out of the office, right? He <laughs> so runs. He's terrified. The heated Canadian bank manager yeah, is chasing after him. Yeah, the guy wanted to knuckle up, and he was... Oh, yeah, yeah no, not at all. So, uh, like I said, he's running, he tries to run out. Now, somebody sees him running out of the bank manager's office, a female customer, she throws a leg out, trips <gasps> him. Right? Yeah, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> Ken, I figured you'd do yeah, that. Totally. I knew you'd love that detail. So Ken stumbles, goes down, hits the bank floor hard, skitters across <laughs> it, right? Scrambles back up to his his feet. He tries to flee again, but this time a bank teller is like hopped over the counter and runs and chases him. Gets him right at the door, tackles him. They go knocking nice. out onto the sidewalk. Right? This guy hits him like a linebacker in Canadian football. Just wraps up, takes him down. They don't play. They don't play. No, not at all. So now that he's on the sidewalk, just outside of the bank, a minister who's walking by, he gets involved. What? He goes over and he kicks the gun out of Ken's hand. Right? Yes. <laughs> so they're all just, just like, as Jesus would have done. Canadian teamwork. Right? I love it. Nobody really hurting anybody they're all just disarming him totally. wrapping him up right so then Good now people. the linebacker bank teller he sits on ken until the police arrive nice <laughs> yeah and they all, then ken's arrested tried convicted sentenced to 12 years in prison oh Ooh, that's rough and if i'm the wife back home i'm putting the for sale sign right out in front of the <laughs> tap, lodge tap tap, tap, yeah. tap 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 well thanks to his string of two robberies one successful one unsuccessful but because he flew to both of them ken's given a new nickname by the canadian press the flying there bandit it is. there it is now if you believe it his wife elva barely blinked she stood by her man. She's like Tammy Wynette, Elizabeth. Yeah. She's like, stand by my man. <laughs> now, Elva, she tells the newspaper men who come around asking questions. She says, I will never pry into his affairs. She added that Ken was, quote, a perfect husband and a father and just a wonderful guy. I will never pry into his affairs. Yeah. Honey, I got news for you. <laughs> you need to get that crowbar. Those are also your affairs yes. now. 50% of 50%. them. <laughs> and the children are 100% your problem now. <laughs> exactly. So to keep their family in diapers and food, Elva opened a little shop and she starts like slanging, I don't know, like candles and, and like <laughs> That's the way to make cozies. money fastest. Yeah, she's biding her time while Ken does his 12-year bid. Now, uh, thankfully, the young family, Ken gets released early. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, of course, as soon as he's free, what does he do, Elizabeth? Buys a plane. He goes right back to criming. Of only course. he goes and crimes bigger. He gets ready to pull off one of the most epic gold jobs ever pulled in Canada. Well, see, there's part of me that thinks like, you know, if you have, if you've done that time, mm-hmm. uh, it's really, really hard to get gainful employment. Yes, and afterwards. you know that going out. And so there's also there's like this competing thing of like. You know, they have impulse control issues. Uh They want to do the crime because it's exciting or it's all they know. But then on top of that is that overlay of like, you're not going to be able to get a job because of, you know, people discriminate against those with criminal records. Total, 100%. And then you put like a bunch of them together and they're all talking about their plans and what they're going to do when they get uh-huh. out. A lot of the plans are like, you know what, it'll be a great job to pull off. Yeah. How would you do that? He's a smart guy. He's going to like the challenge. And you can't really fault business owners too because if they're like, I've been burned by yeah. hiring someone, you know, who's recently been released from incarceration and 
So, yeah. You know, that happens quite a bit. And so well, it's it's just a bad situation all around, Sarah. Oh, it burns on both ends, Elizabeth. It really does. Well, can he spend his time? Burns going in and coming out. Ah, yes, like good Thai food. So, Ken, <laughs> he's sitting there in prison, this Canadian prison. He's racking up ideas, and finally he settles on one, and he develops it from every possible angle. The, the flying bandit, right? When he gets out, he's like, okay. I have got the job, right? But he only has to do three and a half years of his 12 years. So he's still a young man, plenty of opportunities. He gets released for good behavior. Uh So he was able to work two fronts. He's scheming in his head, but meanwhile, he's cheesing on the outside. Big smiles, right? He gets considered a model prisoner. Once again, his gentlemanly nature distinguishes him. And in prison, that actually benefits him by comparison. So, boom, he's released December 21st, 1961, just in time for Christmas. Hey, Warden, tell your uh, family, Merry Christmas, eh? I'll see you guys later. The Warden's just like, man, he is so whip smart. What? (laughs) Once he's out, free again, Ken, as I told you, he's going to start crying. But first, he tries to return to the straight life. Maybe he can make a go of it. Who knows? He went home to Elva and the young family. He gets a job. He starts selling cookware again, door Mm -hmm. to door. But yeah, once again, after flying to a remote location, they call it a fly-in sales, right? Yeah, so he's, he's doing fly-in sales. This lasted for a while. Slang in Dutch ovens. Completely. The young family continued to grow. He and Elva, they would uh, continue. They have seven kids. Eventually. Oh, stop it. Yes, yeah, seven kids. Now, come on now, dude. <laughs> he does not... If, <sighs> seven kids is extra expensive, too. That's what I'm saying. Because I don't have kids, but even I know that. That was my Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's one thing if, like, oh, we have these kids and then I'm trying to make ends meet and I, I turn to crime. Uh-huh. Well, stop having the kids. <laughs> so keep your expenses down. Elizabeth, making kids is fun. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, he goes, I got to pay for these seven kids and all the fun we had, honey. And then he's like, <laughs> I got an idea, gold plane. A gold plane? Yeah, not like a literal plane made out of gold. Oh. I know how you're picturing, like, King Midas touched a plane. No, no. I was 100% picturing yeah. that. No, a gold I was like, tra- that's tacky. <laughs> a gold transport plane. You see, there, Oh, a there plane were, that transports gold. Yeah, a gold plane. You know, like, it's a the... A gold m- plane. Yeah, there you go. But like how you put the <laughs> emphasis on it. Anyway, there's gold mines up in, like, in Ontario. Sure. The gold from the mines, it gets flown down south to Winnipeg on these small transport planes, gold planes, mm-hmm. operated by this company, Transair, right? Now, once there... The gold bullion, that's uh, KKA gold bricks, gold ingots, and gold coins, all labeled under the term you gold put, bullion. You put it in hot water and it makes gold soup. Yes, excellent. With, with some onion, celery, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Gold would be transferred, by the way, to an air crew from Air Canada. So it goes from Transair to Air Canada. Okay, mm-hmm. right? So that crew from Air Canada, they would load the gold bricks onto flights bound to the Royal Canadian Mint in the capital, Ottawa. Okay. All right. So for weeks, Ken surveilled the Winnipeg International Airport. He clocks the schedule of all the gold planes coming in and out from the Red Lake mines. He imagined how he can get his hands on that gold. How do I pry in there? What will work? Eventually, he figures out the exact ideal time to rob the gold planes. He's got his window down. He determines he'll need four men to make his plan work to pay off. Right. So he plans a job. Like I said, back when he was in uh, this place called Stony Mountain Prison. So uh-huh. he's like, okay, I, I knew a guy back there. And this guy was Harry Backlund. He was a lawyer from Winnipeg. And, well, he becomes the financial backer for the scheme and in charge of fencing the stolen gold. So he goes, he's smart. He gets both sides. I need money to pay for it. I need to get rid of it to cash it out for money. Sure. We always talk about they don't make a plan for how you're going to get rid of yeah, what you yeah, steal. it's very true. Part of his plan from the get-go. Now, this lawyer, he wasn't in prison because he was like a bad lawyer. He's still a lawyer. He was actually just a lost 
student who was going around helping the inmates. Oh, okay, yeah. So he meets him. He's like, I like that guy. I'm going to see. I think he's kind of hanky. He'd probably go for him. this. Yeah. yeah. He flips him. Right? So the other guy, now he needs two hard men, just like, but Canadian hard men. So uh-huh. he gets a. Uh, so they're very tall. Exactly. Rugged, <laughs> broad chested. So John Barry, that's a hard man. He's a, he's a professional crook. Then he also gets this guy, Richard Grenko, Rick, Rick Grenko. He's a fellow hard man. I but, thought you were going to say Richard Grieco. No, no. He could not get him. He was not Darn available. His agent said it. he was doing some show down south. That's terrible. Anyway, Ken's drinking buddies. That's these guys. That's their qualifications. Oh, he, he hires his drinking. Yeah, but hard men drinking buddies. <laughs> I like, would say, the like, toughest you know, drinking buddies he has. It's always a bad idea to bring in more people because it's more mouths to speak. Sure, sure. But at the same time, it's not like he was a raging success before. So <laughs> bring in as many people as you want. Dude. So Rick, he brings in his brother, Paul Grenko, and he's going to act as their face man. In this case, he'll be in charge of watching for the large gold shipment. So he's going to pose as a as a salesman of gold. And he wants to find out when a large shipment's going to come in. Okay, so Barry and then Grinko's. So we have, yeah, Richard and Paul Grinko and John Barry. Okay. Now, Rick and John Barry, they will be in charge of grabbing the gold. Like, they are, okay. the, they're, they're, they're the hard men, right? So this wasn't, as I said, wasn't going to be a smash and grab job, not going to be a break in. The plan was the two hard men would be handed the gold. Oh. Just handed right over to them, Elizabeth. Here you go. Take this gold, I please. see what's going to happen. They're going to dress like Air Canada employees. You are so whip smart. I, for a lady host, <laughs> I got to tell you, I am That whip lady host, smart. whip smart. <laughs> Ka-ting! Now, to pull this off, this means, as, as you guessed, disguises. So the men, they get white wintertime coveralls that match the ones worn by the Air Canada crew. Now, and they doctor them up the, with a stencil for the Air Canada logo. Next, now they need proper paperwork. And so they're going to need a manifest waybills. Ken finesse that by stealing some actual waybills from the Air Canada. Okay. Now, he goes to the Winnipeg airport. How did he pull off that move? <sighs> well, he's super smooth, he's got a Elizabeth. Mustache. He did almost next to nothing. He just waited until the Canadian crew took lunch. Then the Air Canada, they people, the crew, they left the desk unattended. Yoink! Now we no have official waybills. Way. Way oh, man. They were so, they weren't suspicious. Yeah. Anyway, a plane from the Red Lake Gold Mines, they flew into Winnipeg Airport on March 1st, 1966. Ken and his crew were all ready and set. Paul, the lookout, he's posing as a salesman, as I told you, interested in buying a lot of gold. So he's like, oh, there's an extra large gold shipment coming in. They, they told me. It's aboard this plane. He tells them when it's going to land. Time to strike. Rick Granko and John Barry, they get dolled up in their fake Air Canada wintertime <laughs> coveralls. Next, they go and they steal an Air Canada truck, possibly a van. Sources say both. Anyway, yeah. they stole that from the motor pool. They drive that stolen truck or van right across the tarmac. They're the two hard men in their Air Canada coveralls. They meet the Transair Gold Plane. They inform the Transair staff that they're there to... There's been a change in the scheduled transfer, right? Yeah. But typically, Air Canada, they would take possession of the gold, right? And then they would transfer it out on a scheduled flight. Everybody knew it. It was all set. But due to the size of this particular gold shipment, the hard man explained that Air Canada wanted to get it out as soon as possible. So they wanted to transfer it, and they have it lined up for a charter flight. It was <laughs> 600 pounds of gold. Wow, that's multiple Bo Jacksons. Yes, multiple. Like it's at least I think two and a third Bo Jacksons. Exactly. Now th- their story was suspicious, but what could the Trans Air 
air crew say. I mean, they're like, well, the two hard men, they have wintertime Air Canada coveralls on. They're driving a legit Air Canada truck or yeah. possibly van. They also have legit paperwork. They have the way bills from Air Canada. Plus, right. it's snowy and cold, and who wants to stand around on a tarmac yeah. questioning paperwork? Yeah. So hinky as it all may have seemed, Trans Air staff's like, here you go. They hand over the gold shipment. They load wow. the gold onto the Air Canada truck. The two hard men drive off right off to the tarmac, and uh, they disappear. Rick Greenkow and John Barry successfully drove the Air Canada van out of the airport. Then a kilometer or so away, they meet up with a second vehicle driven by Ken Leishman, the flying bandit yeah. had done it, Elizabeth. Yeah. Coincidentally, or rather ironically, considering his name, he chose not to fly away with his 600 pounds of stolen gold. The plan was to drive it away. So he dropped off the hard men, and then he drove the gold bullion over to the home of the lawyer, oh, Harry right. Backlund, right? He right. let himself in since Backlund was away on vacation. He planned to hide the gold in the lawyer's freezer at this point. That wasn't the original plan. The original plan was much better. Originally, Ken planned to hide the stolen gold in a farm field. The farm belonged to Ken's uncle. It was going to be super easy. But then a blizzard comes in. So now oh. they can't dig. They can't even drive. Yeah, yeah. Also, Ken's got, a wor he's got all these fears and worries. These sudden like fears creep up about about the Mounties, the Royal Canadian sure, Mounted Police, yeah. they're going to have set up a roadblock so all over the place. Yeah, He's like, I don't want to drive too much. So he just drives over to the lawyer's house and then he audibles, right? He's like, okay, we need to sit tight. Where They're going to leave the gold hidden somewhere that no one would look. The lawyer's deep freeze. That's pretty good. Right? And you, that's great. So what's your ridiculous take? Oh, no, we're supposed to more? <laughs> no, he, yeah. He drives over to the lawyer's house. He's supposed to be away on vacation, as I told you, which he was. Uh -huh. But his mother was there. She's decided to house sit in the nice house anyway. Uh -huh. Ken had to quickly come up with a cover story where he has all these boxes that have to go into the lawyer's basement. He's like, oh, these are filled with frozen moose steaks. Your son ordered. She's like, okay. Hey, come on in. She lets him in. Ken's able to stash the gold in the lawyer's deep freeze. I thought you'd like that. The mom wasn't like, oh, break me off one on your way down there. I'm no, like, no. She, yeah. <laughs> they were like, too frozen for, I guess. Anyway, yeah. another part of the original plan that was that they would all sit on, they told you, on the stolen gold, wait a few years, then attempt to fence it once the heat was off. Yeah. They'd move the gold to buyers overseas. There was a problem with that plan. The two hard men, they we want to get paid right now. Of course they right? did. Right? So Ken, he has to up the timetable. Now the new plan, Ken's going to go overseas. He's going to show perspective buyers what they had stolen and then they'll all make all their problems go away because they'll buy all 600 pounds of gold and it'll go great oh yeah you that's think that's what happened that's Elizabeth? exactly what's gonna happen well let's take a little Hooray. break and we'll be back and i'll tell you what happened to the 600 pounds of gold and our canadian robin hood from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. 
Millions of people have made the switch to Nick Sleek Proof Underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine washable, and great looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's KNIX.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's KNIX.com. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. All right, Elizabeth, we're oh, back. Oh, right. Okay, so Hi. where were we? Hi. That's right. Harry Backlund's basement. Yes. We got the frozen moose steaks that are not real, but right. they're actually gold bullion. Very, very heavy steaks. So, and they need to take the, the new plan is to take some gold overseas so they can sell it right away, even though the heat is still on. So, right. the what H do they do? The H is O. The H is fully O. Mm-hmm. So, Ken, he grabs a hacksaw, he saws off a chunk of gold from one of the gold bars. <laughs> Then his new plan is he will go and board a train headed to Vancouver where he will board a flight to Hong Kong because, you know, that's where there's a big black market for this type of stuff. Okay. Meanwhile, the lawyer, Harry Backlund, he returned home from his vacation and he gets worried that his wife might find all this gold hidden amongst the frozen moose steaks that actually are in the deep freezer. I forgot yeah. to tell you that he oh, actually does have legitimate frozen moose well, steaks. Sure. So he takes the gold out from the deep freeze and he buries it in his backyard. Oh. There's another tiny problem with all of this. I forgot. The, cr- the crew's newly improvised plan, right, to sell the gold. Ken didn't have a passport. He can't travel on a passport. Wait, so, yeah. So That's he, right. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's going to use the lawyer's passport. Just say, I'm Harry Backlund. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. That's the plan. So Ken linked up with the lawyer. He takes the lawyer's passport. He gets on a train to Vancouver. Boom. He takes off with a sawed-off chunk of sample gold. <laughs> this is the plan. Working perfect, right? Now, when Ken arrives in Vancouver, he wastes no time, Elizabeth. He headed right over to the airport. While he waited for his flight, he heard his name get called over the airport PA. That's his his name or his the name. lawyer's name? Ken Leishman. He's uh-huh. like, that ain't good. Yeah. So that spooked him. So what does he do? He gets up and he goes and he ditches a hunk of gold that he has on him, right? He's like, whoop, just dumps it somewhere in the trash. Nobody ever finds it. Oh, you're kidding. No, just disappears. Someone found well, it. Well, yeah, possibly. And they kept quiet about it. Or if I, it was in the trash, it could have been in the landfill yeah, somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, he tries to play it cool. He's like, who's Ken Leishman? I don't know Ken Leishman. <laughs> I hope that guy <laughs> hey, gets his call. Are they paging you, man? Like, yeah, so uh, that fails, though, because there's a full 
detachment of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police at the airport. I like to picture them up on horseback, oh, walking totally through. indoors. Yeah, yeah with yeah. the red jackets. Uh-huh. Like, you know. Anyway, so they eventually find him. And the inspector from the Mounties in charge of this airport arrest, his name was Superintendent Gordon Perry. Okay. That's like the most Canadian named ever Canadian. Gordon Perry. Gordon Perry, right? Yeah. So anyway, Inspector Gordo. Gordo. He said, the plan was good. What he did afterward and the people he associated with were not up to his character. He should have done better, eh? <laughs> so uh, while Ken was stuck on his two-day train trip from Winnipeg to Vancouver, the cops had been on the case. Yeah. Right? Oh, by the way, can we just talk for a moment about how dope it would be on, on a two-day train trip to go across Canada? I've always wanted to do that Trans-Canadian oh, Rail trip. I would. That would have made amazing. Yeah. we got to come up with an excuse to do that. We could record special episodes from the train. There you go. And do all do train... Do pull a ridiculous crime on the train and just cover well, it live. The first, the, the Tuesday episode is us talking about great train robberies. Uh-huh, and then Thursday and then we Thursday pull one. And Thursday is us doing a train <laughs> robbery. And then the, the next, next week Tuesday. is... Like, from prison <laughs> we're on the sorry, lamb hopefully we'll be on the lamb for at least a little it's this very special rerun while we're <laughs> trying to get bailed out anyway back to the mountains yes. okay they've been working on this case for two days despite the blizzard i told you about that would have obscured tire tracks and you know whatever the investigators found the abandoned air canada cargo van oh yep to their luck forensics were able to lift a fingerprint of oh, one of kidding. the hard men yep. now listen it is cold out there yeah oh, yeah what are they Freezing. doing leaving fingerprints where gloves? gloves exactly you just for, just for the war- sake of the warmth. <laughs> just for the sake of your fingers, son. Yeah. Anyway, the Mounties, they find Ken's getaway car, too. Oh, he had do. abandoned it somewhere where they're like, hey, it's over here, eh? What so they, he'd also left behind a notepad. Although he'd torn out the notes, the police used that old pencil <gasps> trick. Yeah. I figured you like this, yeah, right? little Sister Boniface action. Lightly on that shaded one. that paper and mm-hmm. boom, emerges one word. That word, backland. Oh, so, my gosh. <laughs> at the top, he's like, backland with like little hearts <laughs> around it. And he was like, no, one. Get the gold, too. Drive it to Backlund's house. house at, and then the address, and, like, little directions. So the next morning, the Mounties paid a visit to Backlund, but not at home, at his office. Oh. They're at least dignified, right? But you know what? Rather than me just telling you about it and talking about it, Elizabeth, I'd like you to close your eyes. The eyes are closed. I'd like you to picture it. It's March 1966, and you are in Manitoba, Canada. Specifically, you are in a law office typing up a letter. You are the newly hired secretary of a young lawyer. I'm whip smart. Can't get a much better job since you are in Canada on the lamb. That's right. You are a successful gem thief who's been working the eastern seaboard posing as a psychic medium. Madame Regina Corntower. Now, <laughs> after you had an escape, uh, you had to escape a botched gem job in Manhattan, you snuck over the border into Canada. Now you're working for this young lawyer. It's the perfect gig. Who would ever suspect you? You're just nice old Regina Corntower from Calgary. Now, you, you know, I'd love to tell you about it, eh? Would you try your accent, but it doesn't always no. Anyway, this morning, you're feeling a little nervous because why? There's police at the door. You can see them through the smoke glass panel of the door to the law office. You see the hand of the law wrap on the glass. The door shakes in the frame. You see the gold of the lawman's badge. You get up, your chair squeaks, your heels click clack across that linoleum floor. You open the door, praying that this isn't the moment you feared for months would come. Nope, but cop greets you with a smile. He's a detective. He says his name is Detective Sergeant Dunmall, and he asks you if your boss, Harry Backlund, is in. You say to yourself, oh, he is. Now the detectives say, oh, goody. And he steps inside the office, walks past you, knocks on the door to Backlund's office. Come in, is the reply. Now Backlund, he's assuming it's probably you with coffee or the morning's news. Door sweeps open. His face falls when he sees it's not you. It's what well, it is you, but it's also Detective Sergeant Dunmall. Now he is smiling. 
The detective introduces himself. Backlund stands up to greet him. The two men shake hands. Nice, you know, friendly Canadians. Backlund's cool as a cucumber in a bowl of hot sauce. Shout out MCA. <laughs> now he asks what the detective is there for. He offers him a seat in the chair opposite his desk. The detective, you're standing there watching this. The detective accepts the offer. As he moves to sit down, he spies a briefcase beside Backlund's desk. The detective, he trusts his instincts. He kicks the briefcase just gently. The briefcase is heavy. It doesn't move. It's weighted down with something really heavy. The detective bends over. All Harry Backlund and you can do or watch together as the detective opens the unlocked briefcase. And boom, what does he see? A sawed-off stolen gold bar shining back at him. That's a that's a difficult probable cause move right there. But. <laughs> Harry Backlund says nothing. You gasp at the sight of the sure gold. Sure I do. The detective chuckles to himself and then he says, now, counselor, you know what this means, don't you? You're going to jail. Oh, you betcha. <laughs> now, after this, Elizabeth, the detective went over to the lawyer's house with a bunch of other cops. And what do you think they found at Harry Backlund's place? Mistakes. Yes, they did find. And in the deep freeze below that, they found a small pile of gold that Harry tried to, I guess, hide from the others. <laughs> Old Harry couldn't help himself. But that oh. wasn't all. The, the Mounties kept searching. and They found all the other gold bars and bullion and ingots and so forth that were in the back of the ba Backlund house. Yeah. Hidden under fresh fallen snow. <laughs> now, when he heard about how his lawyer was the one who was caught with the hunk of sawed-off gold in his briefcase, which ultimately led the police to the rest of the main stash, what do you think Ken was thinking? He was flabbergasted. Yeah. The lawyer had kept the gold on him in his briefcase? Yeah. That was his actually pretty much his quote. But you were there. You saw the downfall. I, I did. Now, I mean, who would ever, right? I know. Anyway. As Ken Leishman said, quote, the plan was that he would return that piece to the freezer. It was stupid. So <laughs> their successful Air Canada gold robbery, mind you, was the largest gold heist in Canadian history up oh. to that point. Huh. Ken gets arrested, sent to Headlingly Jail to await trial. Uh -huh. While there, he convinced some other inmates, we shouldn't be in here. So <laughs> We're we should, too good for this. We should leave, guys. And so they did. They busted out. So this time his plan works perfectly. These guys listened. I don't know. September 1st, 1966, Ken and three inmates overpower a guard, steal his keys, bust out. Once they get free, they make a quick getaway in a stolen Chevy. Nice choice, boy. <laughs> now that the escaped convicts had wheels, they flee over to nearby Steinbach, Manitoba. Now, the prison escapes. Big news, right? It leads to the largest manhunt in Manitoba history. There are cops everywhere. They're shutting down all the major highways, the roads. There's roadblocks everywhere, Elizabeth. These guys need to get off the road. Luckily, they're with the Flying Bandit. That's right. So he has a plan for this. He springs into action. He drives them over to an airport, right onto the tarmac. They steal a plane. Then they fly their freedom in another country. What country is that? United good States old of US America. Of hey. Big A, hey. <laughs> now, Candy flies himself and the jailbird crew across the border. They land in where? Gary, Indiana. Oh, yikes. <laughs> but this is not the Gary you picture this is not urban downtown gary this is the farms surrounding yeah because obviously he can't land at an airport elizabeth so ken <laughs> landed the plane in a farmer's field so after he safely crash landed with the three fellow convicts and then this worried farmer comes running out to see if the men are okay he's always had engine troubles yeah ken's genteel nature once again wins the day the concerned <laughs> farmer looks past the three obvious convicts right and says i guess you fellows might need a ride to town he gives them a ride to town. So once they're in Gary proper, yeah. now they can get up to some real trouble. Yeah. The newly freed Canadians, what do they do? Well, I mean, are they still in their prison garb? 
Um, you know, it's a good question. I'm thinking they probably took clothing from maybe the scarecrow. I don't know. Yeah, that'd some, be only enough for one. Um, so I don't know what they, they get to Gary, Indiana. Uh-huh. They have to get clothing at some point. I don't know yeah, where they get let's clothing. Say they they get, get clothing. clothing. So now they're wearing like the latest duds of and 1966. So yeah, now what? Uh, you got to get out of that town. Yeah, Greyhound so, bus. Nope, they go to a bar. <laughs> they, they order drinks and they, and they toast their freedom oh god now meanwhile keep in mind this is a huge manhunt right so there are all sorts of tv news reports tvs are always in bars yeah so they're on the news in the bar right but no one at first noticed them but still there's constant updates every hour on the hour about this daring escape from the canadian jail be on the lookout you know wanted men anyway sitting in the bar in gary indiana the four recently freed inmates they of course call attention to themselves in the dumbest way possible as they're getting drunk they start getting loud but they're also dropping Canadian money in America. No, you're kidding me. Oh, yeah. It didn't take long for someone to put two and two together, and at the count of four, they phoned the cops. <sighs> so now the cops show up, and all four convicts, right, they're in the bar. They're they're surrounded, confronted by a bunch of armed police. Ken's like, I give up. <laughs> so he's like, I'm cool with this. Two of the other guys, they're hardened criminals. So they decide they're not going back inside. They're not going back to the big house, Elizabeth. They decide they're going to blast their way out, like it's the 1930s. <laughs> so they get in a shootout with the cops. No. No one gets killed. No one gets hurt, right? No one gets seriously injured. But Ken and Three, they all get captured, returned to the unfriendly confines of a Canadian prison. Uh The authorities tacked on another seven years for the gold heist and the jail escape to his prior eight-year prison sentence, and Ken was sent back to Stony Mountain Penitentiary. His second time at the prison was no different than his first time, Elizabeth, because, again, model prisoner. Everybody likes Ken. Example, he uh, ran the prison hockey league. He was like commissioner of the prison hockey league, made sure the ice was all clean. (laughs) And not only that, he became integral to lives of prisoners and uh, the prison warden. According to one remembrance, uh, the guy said, quote, he was well-liked at Stony Mountain. The warden used to have him over for dinner. They had a Toastmasters club in the prison, and he was the president. The Toastmasters club? No, Ken's kids, one of them recalled, quote, if some guy was having a problem with his wife or girlfriend, dad would write a romantic poem he could send. Are you kidding me? Yeah, so he's playing like Lonely Hearts Inside. Yeah, Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So his fellow fellow prisoners, they come to love this guy. They're like, he's flying bandit. He's all right, man, right? So Ken, like I said, charismatic, still whip smart. So his wife, Elva, she stands by her man. She visits him in prison all the time. Their love affair undiminished, Elizabeth. Through despite the seven kids. She's like, I can take this, right? It wasn't easy. We can all agree on that, right? Yeah. Ken gets lucky. Eventually, he's let out after eight years of his 15-year sentence. He immediately went and rejoined Elva and the family. They moved the family up to Red Lake, up near the gold mines, but not for more crime. I don't want you worrying. Elva's not going to get, like, shafted again. Instead, he becomes an actual, factual member of the community. Really? Yeah. He worked as a bush pilot, used his talents to help others. Elva opened up another shop selling, like, I don't know, candles and tea cozies again. Uh Eventually, the family is embraced. They're welcomed as members of the community. Ken, he gets elected president of the Chamber of Commerce, Elizabeth. You are kidding me. That's the main, like, that's the stripe down Main Street. You you cannot get more mainstream than that, right? Well, good for him. Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Inspector Gordon Perry, remember him? Yeah, yeah. He once summed up my man Ken Leishman by saying that, quote, he was living on the edge all the time. In my view, he had this Errol Flynn complex. He was a romantic type of guy. So hard to argue with that, right? The flying bandit was anything. He was a romantic. He was a criminally romantic. He was romantic romantic. He was just a big heart, right? Yeah. His wife, Elva, she said she'd once considered divorcing him, but she couldn't turn her back on him. She couldn't stop loving him. Theirs was a rare, true love affair. She told a curious reporter, and, I'll, and I will quote, she tried to explain why she'd stayed, because I know you're confused by this, why mm-hmm. she couldn't quit her never-ending love affair. And she said, and I quote, He was the man in my life. He was my everything. 
He got into problems and stuff, but oh, he was really good. I wrote him every day. He wrote poems for me. He never sent a card without writing a verse in it. Oh, well. So, you know, big heart, lover, hey, right? And yeah. then Ken Leachman goes out as a true folk hero. I've, I saved the best for last. Okay. He was still flying, working as a bush pilot. I told you that. He starts working with the remote hospitals. He's bringing people, patients into the city who need, like, life-saving treatment. Right, yeah. Unfortunately, December 1979, Ken Leachman was on one of those life-saving med flights. His plane goes down. Oh, no. Dies in the crash, or so it's presumed. Body never found. Just his oh. wallet. He's 48 years old at the time. 48? Wow. Authorities yeah. determined that while he was never found, he was likely eaten by wolves. So, Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, that was, that's that was offer him up. Very that's, Canadian. Yeah. That's the way to go, dude. That was a tough blow for Elva. You know, when you live by the oh, wolf, you die by the wolf, I guess. Anyway, man. as she said at the time, it was a hard time. We were starting out again and Ken was doing so well. We were going to have a nice life. Now, I know this sounds crazy, right? But from 1951 to 1979, when he, you know, he had the plane crash... They had a really strong, true love. So I know they made, they raised and parented seven kids, or she parented seven kids. And yeah. Kevin, Ken never hurt anyone, right? You know, and I, and I throw in the gold heist. I know things get criminal, ridiculous, right, whatever. Right. But Ken, he had a good life. Yeah. Being a, the gentleman outlaw, the flying bandit. Elva, maybe not so much. The yeah. kids, maybe not so much. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not the wolf's digestion, not so much. But whatever. It was every Ken, he did have a nice life, yeah. right? So what's a ridiculous takeaway, Elizabeth? Uh, impulse control. Is Always with the impulse control. Well, you know, it is. It's sort of the root of a lot of problems, and particularly, like, you know, when I taught in the prisons, like, mm -hmm. the, my students and I would talk about that, about impulse control and um, how it manifests and how it got them there. Every mm -hmm. single one of them was like, that's exactly, you know, why I'm here, because I can't control an impulse but to what do about something when they have like planning. Coke. But again, when they have, what about when they have planning? Like, he was sitting in there in prison, getting ready to do his gold heist. There's no impulse control there, is there? There's a, yeah, the impulse to do the crime. Like, he, oh, here he is, impulse. he's a, a husband and a father, and mm -hmm. he has a family to to take care of mm -hmm. or to a, help take care of, to be a part of that unit. And he has this impulse to commit this crime in order to get the, you know, the the money that he wants rather than to work hard and, you know, do something that's not so fun, like, mm -hmm. the, you know, most of us do, you know, in order to get paid and, and run our lives. He can't control that impulse. Like, you know, a lot of people will think, you know, it would be really great, rob a bank. And then, I, you know, it's yeah, so easy in and out them. and I could do it and I can figure out all these things. And this guy's sitting in prison because mm -hmm. he didn't do it right. He said there were oh, experts. You know what you I can ask. do? He's got a brain trust. Right, you know, I, I could do this. Well, uh, suppress that impulse uh -huh. you know and that's not easy for a lot of people huh. i always so, think of it as much more in the moment like you know when you pull the gun that type of impulse I control not the like long term six months later i'm gonna do have something long-term impulse is that oh, your yeah. ridiculous takeaway no i don't have one there you go i didn't expect you to ask i just like i didn't even think <laughs> about it i was like my ridiculous takeaway elizabeth's not gonna ask me that's what it is so hey you in the mood for talkbacks though i love talkbacks Oh my god, did he just say that? OMG. Hi, this is Abby from Florida. I love this show. And I just wanted to say in the Charlie Chaplin episode, um, Zarin, his accent sounded like um, his accent from Mr. Rochat. It sounded like Dr. Doofenshmirtz from Phineas and Ferb. And I don't know if y'all going to get that reference, but yeah, it's awesome. Love the show. Keep doing it. Hello, Mrs. Abby from Florida. I want to say hi. Thank you for the talk back. <laughs>
So there you go. That was nice, right? <laughs> this is wow. Anyway, so. There's a whole lot of wow. That was just, just popped out. You know, anyway, as always, you can find us online, Ridiculous Crime, on Twitter, Instagram. We have that website, RidiculousCrime.com. Go over there. Check it out. It's all sorts of visual fun. Also, as obviously indicated, we love the talkbacks. So yes. please go to the iHeart app and give us one. We will gladly put you on the air because we love you, peoples. Email us also if you like at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening. Bye. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by the roller skate bandit, Dave Kustin. Research is by Marissa. Canadian accents are so cute. Brown and Andrea. Oh, tell me about it. Song sharpened here. Our theme song is by Thomas. Take off, you hoser. Lee and Travis. Dutton. The host wardrobe provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are Ben. Oh, I love the McKenzie brothers. Boland and Noel. I love that Mel Blank is their dad. Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.